PM board bombs. Welcome back to another EM Board Bombs podcast where we help you study for boards, but in reality, we help you prepare for hashtag EM life. Hashtag forever. One rapid podcast at a time. I'm Blake Briggs, and today I have the pleasure of having one of our amazing team members with us. And for suspense purposes, I purposely paused. (laughs) (laughs) Marlena, welcome back. It's good to have you on the podcast again. Hey, good to be here. Hey, so for each 15-minute episode, you gain high-yield board knowledge. As we like to say, come for the SEMS, stay for the content. And you can find us on Twitter and Instagram. Marlena, you know all about that, at EM Board Bombs. It's tough. We had to pull you away from Twitter. I know you were so busy with it. You're like, I have time for one episode and that's it. It's true. You have to keep up with all the all the silliness. I, I do love the, the med Twitter life. What can I say? It's overwhelming sometimes. <laughs> Marlene has been awesome on our Twitter. Uh, she can tell you firsthand. We have over 8,000 followers at EM Board Bombs on Twitter. We also have thousands of followers on Instagram. Really just growing at such a, you know exponential rate. It's a pretty awesome feeling. Drop an Apple review if you can, of course, on our podcast. I know Marlene will be the first one to tell you. Um, and you can thank her for all the awesome content on Twitter that she is posting. So please feel free to follow us. Our hats are off to you with how much the hard work you've been doing. So thanks again. I'm glad you're part of the team. Yeah, I love it. It's fun. And always, everyone retweet us, interact with us on on Twitter. It's fun for me to talk with you. Great. Awesome. As usual, uh, we have to plug our premium podcast, EM Rapid Bombs, which Marlena also listens to. If you enjoy EM Board Bombs, we want a TikTok version of our podcast. That's what our Rapid Bombs podcast is for. We prepare you for the boards and clinical practice as well. Don't waste your time just studying for boards. Do both at the same time. Hey, Marlene, I got a question for you. Yeah. If you were studying for the boards, would you like to download a separate app for your board study resources, or would you like the podcast you're listening to to be downloaded directly to your phone? I want it directly on my phone so that I can alternate it with all my favorite true crime podcasts. (laughs) Exactly right. So in other words, if you use Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or any other podcast player, EM Board Bombs downloads directly to that app of choice. We have over 230 episodes now in counting on EM Rapid Bombs. Each episode is just two to four minutes where we drop high-yield bombs in a question-answer format, and it gets seared into your memory forever and ever. Forever and ever. On average, we drop three to four episodes a week. So don't waste your time studying for the tests with traditional question banks. Optimize your study time. Listen to our board pearls. That will help you with the test, but more importantly, with life. And you can sign up for EM Rapid Bombs at emrapidbombs.supercast.com. The easier method is, instead of memorizing that, just click on the show notes here in whatever podcast app you're listening to. Our show notes or description of this episode will have the link. You can also just go to em4bombs.com and click the link from there. It's pretty straightforward. All right, doctor, doctor, are you ready for the topic? I am so ready. So a 67-year-old male with a known history of COPD, chronic bronchitis, on home oxygen is brought with EMS into the hospital due to coughing up blood. His wife called EMS because she noticed him develop a dry cough last night, but it worsened overnight, and he coughed to the point of tears. She thought at first he was coughing and crying over the end of Titanic. It was his first time seeing it. He refused to watch it for so many years, but he finally caved in on their anniversary. On arrival, he has filled his bedroom trash can with blood-soaked tissues. 
He states he is still confused why Jack could not share the wooden door frame with Rose. Before he could explain the length and width of the wooden door and how this theory could have worked, he coughs up more bloody sputum. He is tachycardic and tachypnic, with decreased breath sounds on the right side. Which of the following is the best next step? Choice A, two units, PRBCs. Choice B, emergent bronchoscopy. Choice C, emergent interventional angiography. Choice D, rapid sequence intubation and laying the patient in the left lateral decubitus position. Doctor, doctor, what's the correct answer? Correct answer here is going to be A, get this man some blood. Get this man some blood, stat. Exactly right. Two units PRBC. And I bet a lot of you picked choice D, which is RSI with laying the patient in some decubitus position because I know many of you probably remember, oh yeah, you have to lay these patients down on one side and I forgot which side it was. We're going to get into that. So massive hemoptysis. Marlena, tell me more about this and let's get into it. Yeah. So Massive hemoptysis has kind of been a definition that's been changing and is not totally agreed on by everyone. Some people say greater than 100 mils per hour or greater than 500 mils over 24 hours. But honestly, you can consider it anything that impairs your gas exchange or causes hemodynamic instability. Right. I totally agree. I think the easiest way to remember this now is, first of all, no one's ever going to ask you on any test question what mass hemoptysis is, um, even on the ore boards. I feel like the easiest approach to this is if you're intubating these patients <laughs> and they are in any way, shape, or form vital subnormalities and you're intubating them for hemoptysis in some form, it's massive hemoptysis. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Exactly. <laughs> One key thing you have to do that when I was reading about this topic is I always want to distinguish between GI versus pulmonary. In other words, differentiate hemoptysis from pseudohemoptysis, which is bleeding from the upper, upper airway or upper GI tract, right? Right. And so you'll want to ask about recent epistaxis, pharyngitis, gastritis, or esophageal varices. Patients love bringing in pictures of their hemoptysis. They'll yes. bring in a picture of a bloody Kleenex. They'll bring in a picture of blood on the floor. They'll sometimes bring in the bloody Kleenex itself right. or a bag of right. bloody Kleenexes. So if you ask, they will love to tell you about it. Two most common causes of hemoptysis worldwide, mm-hmm. bronchiectasis and tuberculosis. Interesting. So... You know, if you feel like getting into those tuberculosis B symptoms with the patient, go ahead. But mm-hmm. in our population, it's, it's going to be bronchiectasis most commonly. Yep. You know, and then you, your imaging choice to identify the source of bleeding. If the patient is stable and they can go to CT, your CTPA is going to be the choice there. And that's because more than 90% of bleeds are from bronchial arteries, uh, keeping in mind that those bronchial arteries see systemic blood pressures rather than like the low pressure pulmonary arteries, which is another reason for you to be a little more concerned if they're bleeding of those. If the patient is unstable, eventually they're going to need bronchoscopy. You're going to want to intubate them before that, obviously. And know that like alveolar hemorrhage is a super rare cause of of massive hemoptysis, like we said, because that's that's coming from your lower pressure arteries, and it's just overall a much less common thing. I, I do see most people do end up getting both the CTA and the bronchoscopy. So I think in the ED, depending on the stability of your patient, we'll talk about in a minute after intubation, like going ahead and just doing that CTA is probably a very good necessary step. From what I've read, it's very good to correlate both findings of the bronchoscopy and CTA together. They both provide different but very important information. 
Yeah, and bronchoscopy is going to be over 90% sensitive and specific. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the only problem is, as you can imagine, one, if you're in a a far-out ED somewhere, uh, you're not going to have any bronchoscopy or any capability to do that. And then two, you know, you, you... you're going to have to transfer that patient potentially or have some type of setup where if you're admitting the patient at a, even a big center, you're going to have to call a team in, get a team ready. Uh, they could do a bedside bronchoscopy in the ED, like a flex, flexible bronch. Uh, but again, this is getting down the road of things that you're, you yourself are probably not going to do, but you can help coordinate. But the easiest thing you can do is while in the ED, either waiting for transfer or waiting for a bronch team, you know, waiting for the ICU team, whatever, is to do the CTA immediately. Absolutely. It helps if there's no contrast shortage, I heard. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Oh, my God, I'm dying from that. Yeah. I've never yeah. talked to radiology so much in my life. <laughs> exactly. Uh, the other day we had a trauma patient that we've been doing all of our trauma scans, obviously, without contrast. And uh, we had one trauma patient who needed a CTA. And, like, everyone was – it was so funny because, you know, if it was before this shortage, everyone would be like, oh, yeah, CTA, done. Uh, everyone gets contrast. And now it's like – five different people like debated it back and forth like oh, i don't know is this really worth it i mean <laughs> it's it, it's seriously a, a discussion now i had a radiologist ask me to order a lactate the other day i was like oh the tables have turned uh yeah that sounds silly all right <laughs> hey give me some history clues here what, what are we looking for what are we concerned about this gets into you know doing a good physical exam right being good and uh, thorough yeah so you know, we were just talking about trauma, a patient with recent trauma. You're going to think about pulmonary contusion, maybe mm-hmm. even like pulmonary laceration, but definitely contusion puts you at risk. If a patient is has sudden shortness of breath, that pleuritic chest pain, you're going to think about PE, which you were probably already thinking about. I mentioned that TB is one of the most common causes worldwide. If a patient is immunodeficient or the question stem loves mentioning recent immigrants, you should think TB immediately. Mm-hmm. If the patient ha- already has like a history of TB or sarcoid, um, aspergilloma is another cause. Um, on your physical exam, if you hear a diastolic murmur, mitral stenosis is actually um, a cause of massive hemoptysis. Blast from the past. Yeah, exactly. You know, so think about that. In med school. Yeah. Um, <laughs> If a patient has a long history of tobacco use or, like, weight loss, B-type symptoms, malignancy is another another reason for hemoptysis. Um, and then lastly, the things that we all see on tests but never really in life, your good pasture syndrome, granulomatosis with polyangiitis, um, those things. Okay. So why don't you go more into some causes thinking in a system-based approach? I heard that you don't like mnemonics for this. I don't. I, you know, medicine just has so many mnemonics. If, you know, if it's more than like five character mnemonic, I'm not paying attention anymore. I saw a mnemonic the other day that was literally every letter of the alphabet. That was the mnemonic was A through Z. Yeah. I think it's easier to just think about this in a, in a systems approach. And I think that it makes sense with the way that we think in emergency anyway. So um, you think of your infectious causes, mentioned some of them before. Um, You've also got abscess, um, necrotizing pneumonias. So specifically those caused by like Klebsiella, Staph, or Legionella, your mycobacterial infections, and your fungal infections like mycetoma. Um, You've got your traumatic causes. um, That can be pulmonary contusion, like we mentioned, but also iatrogenic, like a suction ulcer. If a patient is trached, the dreaded TA fistula, um, and then any other kind of injury. Uh, You've got your malignancy causes. The most common cause of malignancy hemoptysis is going to be squamous cell. And then 
um, vascular. These are the big ones that you'd probably go to first. Pulmonary embolism or infarct, mitral stenosis that we talked about, fistula formations, AV malformations, bronchial telangiectasias, um, LV failure, and then any kind of coagulopathy. And then lastly, you got your vasculitis, which we talked about earlier. And then finally, one that I found that's really more interesting, catamenial. Yeah, catamenial. Now, that's the word of the day. That may be the title of this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, apparently, like, people can have endometriosis in their lungs. Oh, my God. Sounds awful. It does sound awful. (laughs) Cool. So let's get to the immediate management here. I'm going to lead us in, and I want you to talk more about airway stuff. So obviously, two large worries, kind of silly things. Honestly, you just need to think of this as like a GI bleed. You know, pre-oxygenate patients as best as possible, but definitely can't do non-invasive positive pressure ventilation. Sometimes high flow nasal cannula can be helpful too in these patients, but obviously keeping the mouth open. Uh, closed mass is not going to be helpful uh, to these patients at all. Actually very harmful. Obviously, you want to make sure that they're not anticoagulated. And this is the type of person, just like a GI bleed or, you know, a massive unstable bleeding of some type, either GI or pulmonary, you're going to very easily reverse these people. Uh, you're going to discuss reversing them with PCC, TXA, DDAVP, depending on the cause, right, of what type of anticoagulation they are on. And then, of course, you're going to get your consultants involved early, right? If you're thinking about bronch early on, you need to call the ICU or whoever at your hospital is responsible for doing flexible bronchs, whether it be ENT, GI, et cetera, or the surgeon. And then, of course, you're going to call thoracic surgery or trauma surgery, depending on if there was a recent surgical intervention or this is a post-op thing or trauma was the cause, right? So getting your consultants involved very early on is very, very important here. So I want to hand it over to you because now we're getting to the really the just the absolutely key part of this talk. I'm going to summarize this talk later at the end with just two words, Marlena, mm-hmm. and you're going to love it. Uh, but I want you to talk more in detail about airway management because this work gets in the high yield board stuff and just what you need to know as an emergency physician. Yeah. And it's the stuff you need to know in your head already. You don't want to be looking this up when the patient yes, is absolutely actively choking on their own blood in front of you. You know, as little as one to 200 mils is enough for someone to asphyxiate on. So it does not take a lot of hemoptysis to actually be massive and to be life-threatening. If you can keep the patient from you know, needing RSI for a little bit, that's good. Their own cough, if they have a good cough and airway clearance, that's going to be better than any kind of section you can provide through the ET tube. But you should also have a pretty low threshold to intubate these patients. And it's going to be a hard airway, right? Like this is a bloody airway. You already know that. So even if it's just to ward off evil spirits, but really you should have your crite kit out. You should prep the neck. You should be ready. Mm-hmm. You want to do Whatever is going to be the best approach for you. So, you know, whatever you are the most successful with, you want to do that because you want that first pass success. Um, And definitely have have a salad set up. Have your decanto. Don't fully rely on a hyperangulated video blade because, like I said, bloody airway. Like, you need to have an immediate DL backup. Position the patient in a way that's going to provide you with the most Position the patient in a way that's going to provide you with the best chance at first pass success. Um, Keep the head of the bed up if you can. That's going to improve it. Uh, There's some places that say you can put the patient in Trendelenburg to keep blood out of the lungs, but just keep in mind that this is going to make all the blood like pour towards you while you're trying to intubate. So (laughs) it's going to be like that elevator scene in uh, The Shining. Oh, that's exactly what I was thinking of. (laughs) Just like. A wave of blood headed towards you. Yeah, it's it's fascinating because 
um, when I was a resident, I learned from one of my wake attendings to use two suctions, a dual suction setup. And what you'll have is your handheld suction you always use, and hopefully it's a decanto a large bore suction. And then you have another like suction tubing if you can, and you like literally just kind of put it down into the esophagus and like let it sit there and or right kind of near where the split is with the epiglottis and you just leave it there like behind your blade if that makes sense yeah we use that for gi bleeding and i've done that ever since and it's super helpful and you know it's not gonna be as helpful here because the blood is coming out of the airway obviously not the gi tract but it still is like that static kind of suction behind you that's keeping the area around the upper airway clean so you can at least not deal with pooling of blood around you and there's not this like vomiting reflex uh while you're intubating so but yeah these are very bloody airways and just as you said perfectly as i tell my residents and students like you just cannot rely on your video here you should start out assuming that you will need to use your direct yes um great so tell us more about positioning the patient the size of our tube etc yeah so we talked about identifying the side of bleeding Um, And that was actually one of the wrong answers on the question stem. So, you know, in this case, we mentioned in the question stem that the patient has decreased breath sounds on the right side. So you should assume that that's the side that the blood is in. You can also sometimes tell this with a quick chest x-ray. So when the bleeding is on the right side, you want a main stem on the opposite. Lay the patient with the position of the presumed bleeding lung, so in this case, the right lung, in the dependent position, so on the right side. So that's why that was the wrong answer there. You don't want to lay the patient on the left side. It's opposite here. Correct. Fluid down. Yep. Keep it down. So Marlena, tell us, you know, everybody knows the the knee-jerk answer of, oh, put the fluid down, you know, lay them in the cubitus position, but, you know, what, what what's the purpose of this, like, actually, physiology-wise, for us to remember this, like, why are we doing this? What's the thought behind it? Yeah, so the purpose of positioning is to protect the non-bleeding lung since spilling of blood into the non-bleeding lung is probably going to impair gas exchange by blocking the airway with clot or filling your alveoli with blood. Um, You know, like we talked about with the elevator door and the shining opening, you don't want to open that elevator door into your remaining good lung. That's not going to help. No, that's not optimal. And how do you determine that side of the blood? So it can be hard. There's clues that exist, like decreased breath sounds, as we saw in the question stem here. Or if you knew that the patient has a procedure or pathology on one side, like if that's where their tumor was or if they, you know, had a stent placed on that side, that would be a clue. Physical exam can be misleading since blood can spill into another site from gravitational pooling. But if that's what you have to go on, that's what you have to go on. Um, a quick chest x-ray can be helpful here. Yeah, boom. The chest x-ray is probably the most helpful. What about the tube size? Yeah. You you want to use an 8 or a larger tube. Um, the purpose of that is to help with blood, thrombus removal, as well as the bronchoscopy. Don't don't delay the intubation if all you can get is a 7.5. There's some, some institutions where the bronch and oxygenation can be achieved over a 7.5. So it's also something if you want to ever talk about with your critical care friends. Right, that, and also you can just exchange it later if you absolutely have to with a bougie. Uh, but obviously securing the airway earlier if your concern is better than just waiting around to, for somebody to go up to Central Supply and get 802. Yeah. <laughs> so tell us more about main stemming. Yeah, so right main stem is pretty straightforward. Some people do that often on accident. Um, if you need to left main stem, it can be helpful to place the patient in the right lateral decubitus position and use the bougie so that you've angled that CUDA tip to the left. 
If you right main stemmed and then figured out that that's the side the bleed is on, deflate your balloon, rotate 180 degrees and push it back down. Ideally, that would make it go into the the left main stem instead. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and then obviously, uh, last key pearl here. There's no unique ventilation strategies here. Uh, the standard volume control methods are fine. However, one thing I found that was interesting when I looked it up is if you are only ventilating one lung, obviously your tidal volume should be reduced by like half. <laughs> yes. So just an interesting little pearl that often we forget about, right? Because we intubate some, we walk off. Uh, well, hopefully you're not walking off, but some people do. And so it's important that you are actively involved with, okay, I'm only ventilating one lung here. If you do main stem your tube and, you know, obviously go from there for appropriate ventilation care for these patients. Right. And you mentioned not walking off. Yes. That's important. You should stand there and wait at the bed until the chest x-ray is done. Read it then. Make sure the tube is where you want it to be, that mm-hmm. the x-ray makes sense with what you thought the pathology was and where it was. And and don't rely only on your respiratory therapist to set the ventilator. You should Correct. take ownership of that and make sure that it's what you want it to be. Absolutely right. Remember one of the um... The, the amazing and incredible Mary Claire O'Brien from Wake Forest, who's been on the podcast multiple times, one of our uh, editors, too, for Ian Board Bombs. I remember intern year, like one of the first lectures I heard from her uh, was that if she beats you to the x-ray machine interpreting your tube placement, you've lost that right to debate because it's just a, such a tremendous responsibility. So Wow, yeah. And it's like a good lesson, and I've taught my residents the same thing. I totally awesome. agree. I know there's there's a little box you can check on the pre-populated procedure note for intubations that says chest x-ray was interpreted by and you can select like other physician or radiologist be better than that don't be that guy or girl yeah (laughs) hey so i told you i was going to summarize this talk in two words for massive hemoptysis you ready massive hemoptysis airway ctpa (laughs) yeah (laughs) that's pretty much it and then i guess you could add a third word which is you know, resuscitation with blood products. We didn't really get into that, but clearly the answer choice here was blood products because choice D was incorrect in terms of positioning the patient. That would have been the right answer. Uh, intubation early, you know, with positioning in the right position. Uh, the question's uh, answer choice gave the wrong side to position the patient, as we talked about. And so after the next correct answer is, well, we got to resuscitate the patient, right? Uh, a lot of sources will say start with crystalloid. Sure, whatever. If you don't have any blood immediately available, but we all know that trauma patients and any bleeding patient, it's massive transfusion protocol for these people, right? Absolutely. Cool. All right. You want to summarize anything else? One other thing I wanted to mention, we talked about reversing um, anticoagulation in these patients. There was actually a really interesting study done recently in chest where they compared nebulized TXA to placebo, and it showed that TXA resolved hemoptysis 96% of the time compared to 50% of the time with placebo, and it also decreased the number of invasive procedures, decreased recurrence at one year, and the patient had a shorter hospital length of stay. Um, Hmm. To be fair, this was not studied in life-threatening or massive hemoptysis, but it is an interesting thought that once you've already intubated the patient, you can consider this nebulized TXA. Real life pearls. Awesome. Real life pearls. We're all about that here. Board studying and real life pearls. There's really no one else that does that. It's true. Besides the board bombs. All right. That's another board bomb delivered. Remember, you can find us on Twitter. Our handle's at Bombs, and Instagram as well. And thanks again to Marlena to managing that. Just a rock star. 
And uh, Iltafod, I don't know what he's doing right now. He actually just texted me, and I haven't looked at it yet. Um, Iltafod and I are getting ready to go on a big camping trip in June. I've mentioned it on a prior podcast. Uh, Marlena, you can only imagine how the preparation for that has been uh, with Iltafod. All right, well, it's been awesome. Anything else you want to mention? Uh, No, just best of luck to everyone out there. Interact with us on social media, and maybe I'll be back in another year to do another podcast. You can hear my (laughs) lovely voice. It's going to be much shorter than that. Marlena's going to be a new regular on our podcast, getting the reps in, uh, as well as contributing to uh, more of the handouts and everything like that. So thanks again, Marlena, and we're going to have you again on soon. Don't worry. Sounds good. See you next time. Bye.